The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a pop-up. First base side foul ground playable. Santana makes the catch. The Indians have won the American League pennant. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the seventh consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress throughout the 2017 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Happy Labor Day to you, everyone. Glad to have you along tonight on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. I'm Dave Mitchell, and after a week's delay, after having some problems with the Skype network, and everybody uses that, and everybody had problems with it last week. Well, we were none the luckier because we ended up getting our situation figured out. We're going a different way here tonight, and we're going to be talking about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And boy, what a week it has been for the Cleveland Indians on the field and off the field for the Cincinnati Reds. And in order to talk about the Reds and what's going on with them, we've got to go down south to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? I'm fine, Dave. And uh, all I can say is to you and all your Indian uh, compatriots, uh, the question is, will the Indians lose again the rest of the year? <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be a game where they're going to lose, but right now the winning streak is that... 12 in a row, and you and I talked about this earlier today, Mark. Um, there is a window company up in Cleveland that before the season began, they said, if you bought your windows through this company and the Indians went on a 15-game winning streak, you would get your windows for free. They would rebate you for your windows if the Indians go on a 15-game winning streak. Well, that magic number is three for some some lucky people that put windows into their homes. So they get the windows and the cash back. That's a, that's a great deal. Well, yeah. I mean, what a, you just you can't beat it. But uh, now let's see if the Indians can continue on. And you know, the funny thing about today's game was, Mark, they played the Chicago White Sox in an afternoon game. They played Francisco Mejia, who is. For a lot of people, they don't realize that he's probably the number one prospect that the Indians have in their farm system. But he's also the main cog in the trade that the Indians were unable to complete last year with Milwaukee for Jonathan Lucroy. And this kid did nothing but go out and hit 350 and 330 at AA and AAA this year. Came up today and in his first at bat, grounded to short. His second at bat, he lined one right up the middle for his first major league hit and first major league RBI. And then the third at bat mark against Jamie Shields, he hit one right back through the box off Shields' right knee, and Shields had to leave the ball game. Now, luckily, he's okay. He'll be able to make his next start. But, boy, he, he was right on the ball today, and this kid looks good. What position does he play, Dave? Catcher, but the funny thing is is that they're thinking of trying to move him to third base and possibly keep Jose Ramirez, who's been playing second base now, uh, because of the injury to Jason Kipnis. They're thinking of moving Ramirez back to second, maybe using Kipnis at third if Mejia can't play third. But then the problem is, is that the Indians suddenly have a pretty good dilemma. Giovanni Urshela has come up. And in his last 11 games, Mark, he's hitting 310 with five RBIs and playing a stellar defensive third base. And then you've got uh, uh, another kid that, that came up, uh, Yachty, who came up uh, at the beginning of the year, and he's hitting well. So not only have the Indians, who lost a lot of players to injury, especially Michael Brantley, uh, he didn't play today. Jay Bruce didn't play today. Ramirez didn't start the game. And they still have done a pretty good job. They're on a hot streak. Mark, they're so hot. Let me give you some numbers. When the Indians have scored first in the last 12 games, they're 12-0. and They've scored first in every game on this winning streak. For the, for the season, when they've scored first, they're 60-19 and throughout the year. Oh, my Lord. And at, if they have the lead after two innings of play, Mark, 
They're 44 and 7. Those are records that are better than the Dodgers. I looked them up. Believe it or not, the Dodgers have the best record in baseball, but these numbers are better than the Dodgers right now. And on top of that, what's funny is I had kind of given up on getting the home field advantage for the American League playoffs. I thought Houston was a, was a shoe-in. They were re- they were really tearing up the American League. And then Carlos Correa went down, if you remember, about a month and a half ago with an injury. Well, lo and behold, way, the way the Indians are playing right now, all of a sudden, if you look at the standings, the Indians are only two and a half games behind Houston for the best record in the American League. They're three games up on Boston for the second best record. So this streak has really put the Indians in a pretty good situation for the playoffs coming up at the end of the month. You know, it's going to be kind of interesting this year because you look at the four teams that you would you would think are going to be to win their divisions. Uh, you, you have Houston, you have Cleveland, the Dodgers. Uh, I, I don't know who else is a shoe in other than Washington, Washington Nationals. But it's good news, bad news in that you have these, these these elite teams, these four elite teams, and there's other good teams, but it's possible that a team with a, a much, much lesser record goes through the season, they sneak in, win the one-game one game playoff for the wild card, they get hot, and they knock off the Indians, or they knock off the Dodgers, who played well all year. They walk, they knock off one of the, the elite teams because they get hot at the right time. And it's it's an ongoing question, and if you're one of those teams I'm talking about that, that sticks their way in the back door to the playoffs, yeah, it's great news. But, you know, there should be some recognition of what the Indians, the Dodgers, the Cubs, uh, Washington, other other teams have done all year to get knocked off in a three in a five-game series by a, a team that's not nearly as good. Well, you know, my dad has always said, and he remembers what Frank Robinson said prior to the 1969 season when they went to the playoff system, the best three out of five. Frank Robinson, when he was with the Baltimore Orioles, made the comment, wait a minute, now we've just spent 162 games proving we're the best team in the American League, and now we've got to prove it over the next five and he didn't like it at the time. I know a lot of players didn't like it. I remember back in 1973, Mark, when the Reds had the best record in baseball, went in against the team, the New York Mets, who were 81 and 81 that year and won the division. They were a they were yeah. a, a laughing stock. Remember, and and they ended up beating the Reds in five games and going to the World Series and taking the Oakland A's to seven games. Yeah, it's a conundrum. I don't know how you could make it any tougher than they already have on those teams that have backed into it. I, I would, I would say, but some of the teams that are going to make it, the the second team in each league that's going to make it, they're barely going to be over 500 in some cases, and just like the Mets were in '73. So it's, it, it, I can argue both sides of the equation. But I think there has to be a recognition of what you do over 162 games. I agree with Frank Robinson that uh, why do you have to prove it again? And there was something magical about the playoffs, about the World Series, when you didn't have all the the, the division, the LDS, and the, uh, all this stuff, uh, you know, because the best two teams in, in baseball played against each other. And that was exciting. And last year's playoffs was as Exciting as I remember it being. Yeah, ever. me too. So I'm, I'm arguing against myself here, but I, I hate to see a team back into it and knock out the Indians after what they've done this year. Knock out Houston, knock out the Dodgers. Maybe because of an injury or, or whatever. But, uh, you know, I guess baseball makes a lot more money this way, so that's never going to change. And now I even hear that they're, they're talking about expanding it from two games, two teams. The three or four teams. Oh, jeez. Uh, getting, and I think that just dilutes the whole regular season. It's like, it's like the NBA. You know, you play 81 games and then, uh, you can get knocked off by a team that's an eight seed. Uh, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I would definitely be against that idea. And we'll talk more about the playoffs coming up in the second half hour, especially a team that really helped their cause 
at the trade deadline, Mark, and that's going to be the Los Angeles Angels, a team that we've really bashed over the last couple of years. But we'll get to that in a little bit. But the big story coming out of Cincinnati today, not just the win by the Reds over Milwaukee this afternoon, but the fact that the Reds came out and put an end to all the, I guess, the misery and the angst that Brian Price was suffering through over the past few weeks as to whether or not he would be back next year. They came out and said they've renewed his contract, they've picked up his option, he will manage the Reds in the 2018 season. Good decision? Bad decision? What do you think? I think it's the only decision you could have made given what they had this guy work with over the last few years. I mean, I don't think what he has... I think he was a very poor manager his first couple of years. I believe he's gotten better. And But you could have had Sparky Anderson or Casey Stengel or anybody else managing this team this year, and they would have finished where, they're finished, where they finish now. Uh, they're, they're not a good team because of one thing. It's starting pitching. And until they invest in starting pitching, and I don't mean having somebody in AAA for the next three years and bringing him up in 2021. I mean going into the free agent market and getting some stability in the starting pitching. I'm not saying you have to, you have to sign five or four guys, you know, on a free agent market. But you gotta you gotta sign two. You gotta sign two who can give you 160, 170, 180 innings, win nine or ten, twelve games, something like that. I'm not talking about signing a twenty game winner. I'm not talking about signing Verlander. Uh, I'm talking about a guy who can go out there and, and pitch five hundred ball and give your team a chance to win. Because with the offense the Reds have, they will win a lot of games late. Because they they just keep slugging away, and, and they uh, they're a team that's capable of scoring five six runs every game. So you don't have to pitch a shutout to be a winning pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds. But you got to have the guts to go out there and invest in somebody beyond a Scott Feldman. I mean, he was okay, but you know you, you've got to make an investment. And we'll talk about the organization in a few minutes, but. Uh, this team, I think, has let the fans down by their lack of investment in the free agent market because it keeps you competitive during your, your, your rebuilding. You, you don't want to get blown out over four or five years in a row and see your attendance wane the way it has with the Reds because people will forget about you. They'll, they'll do other things. Rather than spending 100 bucks, go down to a ball game and your team gets blown out 9-2. to two. So uh, the Reds have some big decisions to make this year in the off season, but uh, in, in terms of where they're going, uh, I, I did some homework that we'll discuss about later. But uh, the track this team is on right now is not a good one. Well, okay. So so take a look at this, Mark, and and you you look at this team as a whole, and you keep talking about going out and signing a free agent. The big story that I've been hearing over the last week is that. The Reds aren't interested in going out and signing a free agent. They're interested in making a trade for a pitcher. And the biggest one right now is Suarez going somewhere to get a premier ace starting pitcher. And I think you could get one for that kid. But do you want to give him up? Well, that that depends if you're going to sign Cozart. Because if you sign Cozart, you've got to keep – you can trade Suarez. Uh, if you if you don't sign Cozart, who, who's going to play shortstop? The Reds don't have one. You're going to have to move Suarez to short. Uh, the, the Reds have not developed a shortstop. They they may over the next two or three years. They got some good young kids in in the minor leagues, but right now they don't have a shortstop. And if Cozart goes, you got to keep Suarez. Now the 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 fact is that the investments the team make. Over the last few years, and where I, I really, you, you got to look at the numbers. As you mentioned before, it's, a, it's all a numbers game. And when Bob Castellini took over this organization in 2006, and, and by everything I hear about Bob Castellini, he's a great guy. He's a humanitarian. He's a good businessman. People like him. He wants to win, all that. But <laughs> I've been around Fortune 500 companies before. I've worked for two of them, uh, public companies. And you have to make a financial decision. Are you, are you going to invest in your product or are you going to distribute profits? This team has the money. They had the money over the last five years. They've not invested in their product, at least at the major league level. 
Now, I think he's done a, a good job, maybe. We'll find out in two or three years at the minor league level. But, you know, this, this team, over the last 12 years, they've won 928 games, and they've lost 992. That's a 483 winning percentage. Since Bob Castellini took over, they've had only three winning seasons. That's 2010, 2012, and 2013. Every other season, they've had a losing record. If you go back even further, they've only had five winning seasons in 23 years. That, that's an organizational problem. That's not a bad manager. That's not a bad starting pitcher. Uh, that's not bad defense. That, that is an organization that is not performing. And there's no indication right now. You look at the, the pitching going into 2018. There's no indication it's going to get any better next year. They're going to score a lot of runs, I promise you that. But they have to make some major decisions. Are we going to be competitive, or are we going to distribute profits to the ownership? And, it, and I'm talking about Bob Castellini. He's got investors. I know he has to, you know, pay these guys. They, they want to return on their investment. But other teams, and I look at the Cleveland Indians. What, in your opinion, what did the Indians do differently? over the last five years that the Reds didn't? I don't think they did anything differently over the past five years. What I think, Mark, and I was thinking about this while you were discussing that situation over the last ten years, I think where the Indians turned things around was all the way back in 1990. And, yeah, I mean, I'm going, I'm going back, what, 27 years uh, to 1990, and the reason I'm going back that far, Mark, is because that's when the Indians were sold to the the Jacobs brothers, and the Jacobs brothers came in with one thing in mind, and that was to win. And of course, everybody in Cleveland knew that they told John Hart at the time that they hired him as GM, they wanted an eight percent return on their money every year. 8%, that was it. They figured that was better than what they could get at the banks, anywhere else. That's what they told him, and that's what John Hart delivered. Now, it took them four or five years, three years actually, for, well, four years, from 1990 to 1994 when the strike hit. The Indians, nobody seems to recall that when the strike hit in 1994, and it canceled the baseball season, the World Series in August, that the Indians were on par to win the division that year. Then 1990 came around, and, and when that happened, the season got underway late. They only played 144 games. The Indians went 144 and went to the World Series and lost. That set the tone for this organization, Mark, because John Hart then developed Mark Shapiro. Now, as much as I don't like Mark Shapiro, he kept the continuity of the front office intact. And he brought in Chris Antonetti. Chris Antonetti was the GM. When Shapiro went to Toronto, Chris, Chris Antonetti moved up to the presidency and kept this thing going. I think it's the continuity in the front office, Mark. I think it's the continuity in the scouting department. And when I look at what the Indians had up today and what they've had to work with all season long, I remember when the Dolans bought the team back in 2001-2002. They said, we are going to be a pitching-first organization. They've done that. They've got the best pitching staff, as far as I'm concerned. This is inarguable. They've got the best pitching staff in baseball, starters and relievers. I have absolutely no doubt about that, and I would argue with anybody that would deny me the fact that that, that, that is the case. But they have also gone out and scouted fielders and hitters and brought them up. Now, these are guys... That you don't you don't hear from every day. The Jose Ramirez's Mark. Nobody knew about Jose Ramirez for crying out loud. He wasn't a first round pick. But the Indians, what the Indians have done that the Reds haven't done, is that they have been very successful over the last twenty years at their drafts. That's where they've been successful. They've been successful at picking up people off the scrap heap that you know I've argued about some every once in a while. But they've turned out. They've gone gone out and they've built the starting pitching staff the way that they wanted to. And they've made opportune trades at the time that they were presented to them. 
this is something, Mark, that the Reds haven't done over the past 10 years. We were talking about this three or four years ago when the Reds were going to the playoffs. They had the opportunity to get certain players. They had the opportunity to put themselves over the top, and they didn't do it. Now they're caught in a cycle where the Indians seem to be in the 70s and 80s. They had a team of good pitching, no hitting. Then they have a team of good of good hitting and no pitching. And that seems to be the cycle that the Reds are caught in right now. Yeah, and I, I think the, the thing that I don't understand is why can't they look at the numbers again and look at how their their attendance has gone down dramatically over the last three years, starting from 2014 to now. Uh, precipitous drop. There, there's a collection, a connection there between what people will pay for and what they won't. They're, they're not going to pay for a team. You know, I've gone to a ball game this year where you, you spend, if you take, you take a family of four, you spend 200 bucks to go to a ball game. And that's a lot of money to see a team play so poorly and get, you know, they're down seven runs after the third inning for, for weeks on end. Uh, this team lost because of one reason. Because they, the, the, the organization, not the GM, not not the, the manager or the pitching coach, the organization did not invest in starting pitching. And that it, you, you mentioned that Cleveland said, well, that's going to be our forte. We're going to be a pitching first organization. And when you do that, you you remain competitive, and you you don't maybe you you won't play over 500, let's say. But you're not going to be 20 games under 500 or 30 games under 500. That won't happen if you have good pitching. But the Reds have not done that. And I don't see, with, with the people they've brought up so far this year in September, I can't look at them. I mean, they're bringing up Cody Reed, Amir Garrett, Rookie Davis, Jackson Stevens, and Ariel Hernandez. The, the, the top four, Reed, Garrett, Davis, and Stevens, got hammered in AAA. They got hammered. And they have losing records in AAA. So how are you billed for 2018 when your AAA and AA pitchers are not are not performing at that level? How can you how can you say we're going to be competitive next year? So your point about are they going to trade for a starting pitcher? Maybe. I don't know. But they've got other decisions to make and you know you looked at the Indians, say, in 2015. You, you could look at that, that roster. You could look at that lineup, that pitching staff, and you could say, you know what? We're only one guy away. We're, we're a bullpen guy away from going to the World Series. Or we're a third baseman away. Or we're a first baseman away. You know, you have one position you got to fill. But the Reds, if they lose Zach Cozart, they don't have a shortstop. And shortstop's one of the key positions in baseball, as you know. So what are you going to do? You, you, you need more than one starting pitcher. You need you need three. And I don't see three coming out of what they have right now. Di Sclafani, my opinion is he's not going to pitch again. He won't start again. I think his arm is that bad. And you got Scott Feldman. He's on the 60-day DL. He's going to have surgery. Brandon Pennigan. He's supposed to be starting pitcher this year. He's on the on the 60-day DL, two surgeries. Amir Garrett got hammered in AAA. It goes down the list. So <clears throat> where the Indians were two years ago, that's not where the Reds are now. The Reds are three or four or five players away from being competitive. And you and I talked a little bit. I, I, was, I was upset about the fact that the Indians brought up uh, – Mejia, and had him playing in the middle of a pennant race, and the Reds were not bringing up Nick Senzel, so I looked it up here, Mark, and this just goes to show just how bad the publicity department with the Reds is, and and I've said this now all year long, they they are extremely poor at put at at really building up this team, even though it, it it's not a team that you really want to go see, except for the offensive explosions. I mean, I think they're an exciting team if you like baseball. I mean, this is the if you like a lot of offensive baseball, this is the type of team that you should be buying tickets and going out and seeing. And it, it, I, I got to say this, Mark, going downtown every day in Cincinnati, and I go by Great American Ballpark every day. The ticket pro- or the the parking prices in Cincinnati 
are unbelievably low. I mean, you're talking about you could park within four blocks of Great American Ballpark for about five or ten bucks. And in, yep, that's right. in Cleveland, you can't park anywhere near the stadium for less than thirty. And and that I just find amazing. But okay, Nick Senzel, I got the reason why they haven't brought him up. He's out for the rest of the year. He's suffering from vertigo. No, I did not. They did not say that. Maybe they said it on the air today. I didn't hear the whole game. I I, I did, did not, not hear it. That. I just looked it up. Found it on found it on the oh. internet. Nick Senzel is out for the rest of the season with vertigo. That's probably the reason they're not bringing him up. But that, I'll tell you, sure. vertigo is not easy to get rid of. Yeah, there was another Reds player that had that. Oh, let me see. Um, if it came to me and left. Um, Nick Asaski. Remember Nick Asaski? Oh, Nick Asaski. And he never recovered. He never was never, recovered. The, never the same player after he had it. No. He never played again. He was diagnosed, put him in the DL, and he came back with Atlanta for oh, half a season. And he said it was frightening for him to be in the batter's box because he would, he would nod off and, you know, Get busy. And uh, so I, I did not hear that about Nick Senzel. Yeah, and, and if that's the case with Senzel, and this is, and I'm not, believe me, I'm not trying to say that this is a career-ending injury, but if it's something like Nick Asaski had, there's a number, another number one draft pick, Mark, that the Reds have had that has gone down the tubes for them. Well, obviously it's too soon to it's say. It's too early, you know, I agree. But, you know. so, but you're right, if, if he were to not be able to play uh, the Reds are hanging their hopes on this guy, and uh, uh, if he's not if he's not able to play for some reason, that that would be devastating to this organization. You know, but you brought it up earlier. I mean, that's how I compare the Indians organization right now. And you know, when we first started this show seven years ago, I was not in. And you you you'll verify this. I was not a fan of the Dolans. Did not like no. them. I thought they were terrible owners. But Mark, I've got to say, I was wrong. I think they are fantastic owners. They stay out of the way of their, their organization. They let their organization run. And, Mark, right now I think the Cleveland Indians are one of the best organizations in baseball, bar none. I'm not going to say they're the best because I know there's a lot of organizations out there that run very well. Houston is one. Uh, there, there are several others. I'm, I'm not sure about Washington. I think the Dodgers have really improved over the years. Another organization that's outstanding, Mark, is the Giants. You know, even though they're having a bad season this year, that doesn't mean the organization is bad. No, not when you win three World Series over the last six years. That's, that's pretty good. Uh, or seven years. But, you know, the, the Reds have to decide, are they going to be the kind of team that goes up and down, up and down, up and down. And are they going to be consistent? And are they going to be the kind of team that can, is competitive every year? They may not win every year. I'm not expecting that. Nobody is. But you, you don't want to be 20 games out of first place by the All-Star break. And even though the Reds were a little closer this year, they were still in last place. They've been in last place four consecutive years. That is an organizational problem. That, that's not a player problem. Uh, it's not, it's not a Nick Price or a Brian Price problem. Uh, it's, it's something far more severe than that. And that's what scares me. Well, and Mark, they've held on to Joey Votto. They've held on to Zach Cozart. They've, fun, they've held on to Billy Hamilton. They've held on to Devin Mesoraco. But the players that they've gotten rid of, Jay Bruce, Brandon Phillips, Araldis Chapman, those three players there, and Mike Leake, let's just say Mike Leake, Johnny Cueto. You know, Johnny Cueto played on a, on a, a World Series team, a World Series champion a couple of years ago. You, you've, got, you've got Jay Bruce, who's going to go to the playoffs this year with the Indians. You've got Araldis Chapman, who, yeah, he, he's, his arm may be tired, but he's still on a team that's looking towards the playoffs. I guess what I'm saying is, this Reds organization as a whole has not done a good job of deciding what players to keep and what players to get rid of. And the ones that they have gotten rid of, Mark, they've gotten very little in return. By the way, I'm checking on the Sinzel story, and hopefully it is caused by an inner ear infection, is what they're saying. 
And if that's the case, that that is certainly not a, a career-ending injury. Right. Uh, and hopefully they're going to get him back even for the playoffs. Uh, but um, it looks like he's not going to be playing again in the regular season. Uh, but he <laughs> when he left, uh, he was hitting 340 with 10 home runs and 34 RBIs. Uh, I mean, and uh, interestingly enough, they were talking about him, and I'm surprised they didn't bring it up yesterday, uh, on the Reds telecast where a, a scout – I think it was for the Houston Astros, had watched the Wahoos play, and he said of all the minor league players he had seen this year, that Nick Senzel was the one closest to the big leagues. He he can hit big league pitching right now. You know, he could probably come up and hit 260, 270, but he's only going to get bigger and stronger. Just a great swing, and, and I guess he's he's got a good glove at third, and he can run, and he, he's, a, he's a ball player. So they couldn't say enough good things about him, but he's putting the numbers up, too. And that's that's exciting. So I hope what is ailing him is something that's easily fixed because, like you said, you lose your number one draft pick and you don't make that guy a star after all that investment of capital, uh, you're going to be you're going to be in trouble. Well, and here's another thing, Mark Hunter Green, the Reds' number one pick this year, big, strong player, left-handed pitcher. Mark, not only is he doing it at the plate. Because he's playing, uh, he's hitting as a DH in games that he doesn't pitch. He's doing it on the mound. And I hope what the Reds do is not just look at Hunter Green and say, we need a pitcher. We're just going to keep him a pitcher and just stick with him there. I hope they look at this, this kid and try to evaluate the talent that he has and just what is going to be the best suited for him, whether it be a field, in the field or as a pitcher. They've got to decide that. And, and realistically, Mark, I think they've got to decide that before next year. Well, first of all, Dave, you said he was a left-hand pitcher. Actually, I think you meant he, he is right-handed. He's a right-hand pitcher. And he's he's going to be, with Ian Senzel, uh, you have two of the best players in, in minor league baseball. And if you can't make it work, say, in two years, if those guys come up and you are not competitive, and this Taylor Trammell, who, who was the second round, or a sandwich pick in the first round last year, uh, he, he's also an outstanding player. So the Reds have good young talent. Not, and we're not even talking about what they did on the international signing uh, agenda. They did a very good job on that so far, from all indications. So they are betting heavily on youth. And if, if that youth doesn't come through, or if a Sinzel can't play, or Hunter Green gets hurt, or, or whatever. There, there's no depth behind that. You don't have players on, on the roster right now, on the 40-man roster, that you can look at, as we did with the Indians two or three years ago. We looked at Lindor, and we said, you know what, this guy's going to be a star. There's just no question about it. He's got too many things going for him. He's going to be a star, and he is a star. The Reds don't have that right now at, at, at the high high minors. So they're betting all all the chips are for 2019 and 2020 because 2018 doesn't look too promising. And and that's what the in in all honesty that's what the the Indians did. I mean they when they took over the Indians in 1991 when they when John Hart came in and took over the team. He did that in 1990. He took over for the Reds old manager John McNamara who was the Indians manager at the time. He came in and he managed the last month of the season because he wanted to see the players on the field, and he he took over the managerial job. Then he decided he did not want to be a manager anymore. They hired Mike Har- Hargrove in the 1991 season, and those two worked so well together that they were able to put this entire thing in motion and get everything working. Now, that being said, what the Indians did was they told their fans, hey, here's what we're doing. We're going to play these young kids and in 1994, that's when we're targeting that we want to be good. And to their credit, they were. So if the Reds are doing the same thing, I understand that. I get it, and I think they're being honest with the fans. But now what they've got to do is they have to deliver. Because what happened with the Jacobs and John Hart and Mike Hargrove when they said that and accomplished it, the fans started believing what these guys said. The Reds, if they say that and don't deliver, the fans will never believe what this ownership says again. 
Yeah, and that's what scares me about the long-term impact of decisions made at the organizational level that don't that don't pan out. And it's more than losing a Nick Senzel or, or one. You have to be stronger than that in your organization. And this this roller coaster ride that the the organization puts the fans on does them no good. It, it, it doesn't. People people will go to do something else and they forget about your team. It, it takes time to build build it up and get the excitement back. And what they did in 2010, 2012, and 2013 was good, but that is where I think they screwed up. They did not. They should have gone out and gotten the hitter. If you remember 2010, uh, they got they got beat by the Phillies in the playoffs, but they, their, their offense was crummy all year, but they had great pitching, and that's why they won. They did not go out and invest in that team for 2011. And what happened? Well, they had a losing record in 2011. They went 79 and 83 after winning the division the previous year. They should have invested in the team then. And that, that keeps people coming through the gates. But when you look at for four consecutive years, the Reds have the worst, they've won fewer games in four years than any other Major League Baseball team. That's not having a downtime. That's not having a slump. That means you stuck up your organization for four years making a series of bad decisions. And that is organizational. And it is investment. You can, you can overcome that by investing in your team, not to, not to win, but to be competitive. So we'll see what happens over the next two or three years. But you're right, Dave. If, if they don't deliver on the promises, for 2019 and 20, this team could be going on a you know eight, ten, twelve year hiatus from the playoffs, and that that is going to severely impact this team's value, and certainly the the, the enthusiasm that Reds fans have for this organization. And what you'll find, Mark, this didn't happen in Cleveland, and there was a reason why it didn't happen. But what you'll find, Mark, is that when the Reds finally do start winning, the fans will not show up at the ballpark until they see it happen consistently. The reason that didn't happen with the Indians when they started winning in 94 and 95, and I'll tell you exactly why, the Browns left for Baltimore. The Indians were the only game in town, Mark. They were it. They, the Browns had left and gone to Baltimore that in the 1995 season, and fans started coming out to the games in droves, and, and they fell in love with the Indians, and it's continued on and on. Now, a lot of people will complain and say that the Indians' attendance is terrible early in the year. Yeah, it is. The reason it is is the Cavaliers have been a pretty successful team lately. So who wants to go sit in the weather at Cleveland in, in April when it's cold and rainy and watch a home game when you can sit in the comforts of Quicken Loans Arena and watch a team that's gone to the finals three consecutive years and has a hometown hero in LeBron James. I mean, that, that's the biggest reason that they've got right now. But the Reds are going to have to put a product on the field that is going to be consistent, and it's going to be the type of team that people are going to want to come out and see. You mentioned before, and we've had this discussion re- recently about Joey Votto, and who would you say right now is the MVP in the National League? Oh, you know, I know Cody Bellinger is going to get a lot of votes. He will get a lot of votes. Bryce Harper is going to get a lot of votes. Um, I, I know you're going to you're going to argue the fact that Joey Votto is probably the most valuable player, and he may be, but he's not going to get a lot of votes, Mark, just because he's playing with a last place club. Do I think that's right? No, I've never thought it should be a most valuable player. I've always thought it should be the player of the year. You call it a player of the year. Who's the player of the year? Joey Votto. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. Uh, Joey Votto should get a lot of votes for MVP. He's having he's having a fantastic year, and nobody knows it. And his his numbers are historic over baseball. His on base percentage is four forty eight. That's, that's that's stupid. <laughs> he's hitting three twelve. Uh, he's going to drive in probably one hundred and ten, one hundred fifteen runs. Hit close to forty home runs on a last place team. And he, you know, he, he's, he's pitched around so often 
he's, he's going to get a hundred and some RBIs, but he still walked. He's walked 115 times this year, and that's that's an incredible number, uh, and still have that many RBIs and that many hits. As Joe Morgan said, when you walk a hundred times plus, you're you've got to hit 400 to get 200 hits on your other at bats, mm-hmm. because you, you just don't get enough at bats. You don't official plate appearances. So you know Joey Votto's career numbers are inching up every almost every game. Total bases, he's going to set career highs in, in five or six categories, and. If you had, if he was surrounded by people, I, I tell you, the guy who's putting up numbers, kind of, uh, Adam Duvall. Adam Duvall ought to have 140 RBIs. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating. He should. 130, 140 RBIs. You go back and look at what this guy's done in terms of leaving runners on base. It's it's really poor. I mean, he's really <laughs> not having a good year. But Joey Votto is on almost. <laughs> Every other at bat, he's on base, and so Duvall is going to have probably a hundred RBIs this year. But I really think that number is a specious number. I really do. He should have far, far more RBIs. And in the last, I, I think the last three or four weeks, I remember specifically him coming up with the bases loaded eight or nine times and not driving in a run, with less than two out, by the way. Mm-hmm. And so he, he he can be pitched to. And when pitchers know that, Joey Votto doesn't get a shot. You put him on somebody, you had Albert Pujols or you had a, you know, a stud hitter behind him, uh, Joey Votto's numbers would be off the chart. I, I do think there's something to be said. He'll get some MVP votes this year, unquestionably, but that guy is, is one of the great players nobody pays much attention to. Well, I heard on the radio broadcast the other night that a scout had told Jeff Brantley, that um, Joey Votto right now was the most dangerous hitter in baseball, period. And he was he may be the most dangerous hitter ever in the game just because of the way he has been swinging the bat and just staying back on everything. Well, it's not only that. It's, it's not that he's dangerous where he's going to hit 60 home runs every year. But he, if you... If you subscribe to the theory, and I do, that a great hitter is measured by the number of outs you don't make in a season, Joey Votto doesn't make a lot of outs. And he's on base all the time. (laughs) And he's going to score 100 runs. And he's going to hit for power. And one of the interesting things I heard yesterday, we're talking about Scott Schebler. And he's one of the strongest men in baseball. That, you know, for a young guy, he's got tremendous, tremendous power. And th- these guys are saying, well, yeah, except for one other guy, and that's Joey Votto. They say when, in, in the locker room, when Joey Votto's walking around without a shirt, he said, the guy said, you're looking at a real man. <laughs> he said, this guy <laughs> is ripped. <laughs> and you can, you know, people forget, he's 6'3", and he weighs 225, 230. That's a big man. But you know the way he crouches, he doesn't look like he's he's tall. But then you see him standing on first base, and he's bigger than most of the guys that come up there. So hopefully Joey Votto will stay with the Reds for the rest of his career. Because if he does, he'll break every record except for most hits that the Reds have. And I think that's his goal. He wants to be remembered as the guy who has more records than anybody else. He wants a statue of himself out in front, and I, I don't blame him for that. So your your point about him being traded, I doubt it. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't want him to be traded. I don't think he'll he'll agree to anything. But um, who is knows? he is he a five and ten player now? Oh yeah, sure. Is he okay? All right. Yeah. Speaking of which, you mentioned Joe Morgan. Isn't it great to have him back in the booth? Yeah, it is. He. he in fact, he was the guy talking about Vado and he, about his, his physical strength. And he said what he does, he has such a short, powerful swing that a man who swings under that control can drive a ball 450 feet. And But you can't, he said, the other day, he, he faced this pitcher three times, and the guy threw him 34 pitches and three at-bats. <laughs> he, he just 
won't make it out. He'll foul him off. And, and they, I think he, I think he walked twice and got a home run. I think that game, and he just he won't make it out. So either you have to throw one down the middle, and I'll hit it over the ballpark, or you walk him and take your chances with Duvall, which is what they've done all year, and it's, it's proved very successful to do that. Well, and and you talk, you bring up Joey Votto. All right, I'm going to bring up Jose Ramirez. Jose Ramirez is the most likely person that is a star in the game that you've never heard of if you're just an also-ran baseball fan. But Jose Ramirez could conceivably be, Mark, not only the Indians' MVP, but he could be the most valuable player, and I mean most valuable player, in the American League this year. This kid, 5'9", 165 pounds, his war, Mark, is 5. 5.0. He's got 159 hits this year, 89 runs. He's batting 310, 22 homers. Now he hit his he hit his 23rd today. He's got 70 RBIs. Now that doesn't seem like a lot, but the kid's been batting second and third most of the season. He's got an on-base percentage of 362. He's got 15 stolen bases, a slugging percentage of 554, an OPS of 916, and an OPS plus of 132. Mark, this kid has fluctuated between third base and second base, and if you think that's easy, go out and try it on a Major League Baseball field to fluctuate between those two positions. I honestly think he's a better second baseman and that the Indians will probably move Kipnis to third next year and leave him at second base. But, Mark, this kid has done everything and more, plus he's a switch hitter. He's done everything and more that the Indians have asked for, and I don't know what more you could get out of this kid. He is outstanding. He's a guy that they need to sign up right away before his price tag goes clear out of the sky. Do you think the the emergence of these young players for the Indians have discounted? Two weeks ago we were talking about Jay Bruce. Do you think his signing is now less of a possibility or probability because of the development of these young players? It's a possibility. Yeah, it's it's a very good possibility, too. Uh, although Jay Bruce has been one of the main cogs of how the Indians have been playing lately. I'm not going to take anything away from him. But today they played without Jay Bruce. They played without Edwin Encarnacion. They played without Jose Ramirez. They played without Michael Brantley. They threw Trevor Bauer on the mound today. Trevor Bauer, my gosh, Mark, there is not anything that I can say about He's got 15 wins this year. He's got 15 wins on the year. Kluber's got 14. And everybody's talking about Kluber being the Cy Young Award winner. Kluber, by the way, he just won his... Second of the season, American League Pitcher of the Month record. He was 4-0 and in August, Mark, with a 1.68 ERA. And everybody's talking about Chris Sale being the, the Cy Young Award winner. Where in the world and what in the world have they been watching all year long? Well, again, we're getting back to the fact that the Indians are a winning ball club and the White Sox aren't. Uh, that has a lot to do with these, these selections. And I think you're right that this most valuable player moniker is, is, you could have that, but if you also had the most outstanding player, uh, that, that to me is a separate award, as you, as you indicated. I think it, it's, it's worthy of a second award because MVP means almost assuredly that you have to have been with a winning club because you're, you know, Joey Votto, to the Reds is the most valuable player, but he's not in the league because the Reds are, you know, 16 games out of first place. So, uh, is he the, is he, I'll tell you what, if I have the seventh game of the World Series, there's two out, there's a runner at third, I'm down by a run, or the bases are loaded, I'm down by a run, there's only one hitter I went up there, that's Joey Votto. And I agree with he, you. He, I he just won't make it out. I mean, somebody else, you know, or let's put it this way: If he makes an out, it's going to be a line drive. Mm-hmm. And they had they had an interesting. This is unbelievable. Joey Votto has never hit a pop up on the right side of the infield in his career. <laughs> you know, fathom that for a minute. Who keeps those stats? <laughs> I, I don't know, but but Votto has what five thousand at bats in, in his career or something like that, and he's never hit a pop up on the right side of the infield for an out. <laughs> that's incredible. I mean, that's, that's just one of those astonishing numbers that 
you, you can't get, wrap your head around, but it's, it's the way he swings. And his, his swing is so level that he, you know, he hits line drives everywhere. And uh, the other day, they were playing the Mets, I think, and he came up five times. And I believe he walked, he walked twice, got two hits, and got a line drive the first baseman nailed, you know, caught down the right field line. But they must have thrown him 40 pitches, 45 pitches. <laughs> That's one hitter. I mean, it's, it's, I, as you can tell, I'm a Joey Votto fan, and I, I just wish he were getting his due somewhere. And, um, you know, maybe he would agree to a trade if it meant he was going to get a World Series ring. That could be. Mark, let's go over some things that happened in Major League Baseball over the past week. First of all, the trade deadline happened last Thursday, and a lot of activity happened before midnight, especially with the Los Angeles Angels. They got Justin Upton from Detroit, and then they got Brandon Phillips from Atlanta. I thought those were a couple of outstanding pickups for the Angels. Yeah, I do too, and I don't think Brandon would, would is going to resign with that next year. I'd be surprised if he does. Uh, I think he'll probably want to stay back. He, he might go back to Atlanta for that matter. But uh, yeah, I, I like it when a team they, they may not win it, you know. But they're the kind of team with that with picking up Verlander. You don't want to play them in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Remember, I said earlier today that uh, you, know, you can have a team with that barely sneaks into the playoffs. But you have a pitching staff that they have now with Verlander. Uh, they could do some damage against any team in baseball. Uh, I wouldn't want to play them with, with that with that pitching staff. Well, you know, with Verlander with Houston. The one thing that doesn't bother me is Verlander with Houston because the Indians have always been able to beat up on Justin Verlander. Uh, and Dallas Keuchel has really fallen off the the deep end also since he went on the disabled list. And that's the thing that, you know, I've told you a couple of times, that doesn't bother me about Chris Sale either being with the Boston Red Sox because, as you've seen this year especially, the Indians have always been able to beat up on Chris Sale. Always. So I'm not worried about those those moves, Chris Sale in Boston or Verlander going to Houston. I'm not worried about that. Well, it... it if you get into the playoffs with the with the pitching staff that the the Indians have, uh, you know your odds on favorites to win because teams can't match the Indians. Maybe be, maybe the the number one starter. I mean, if you, let's say you had to play the Dodgers, well, yeah. I mean, the number one starters are going to cancel each other out, but it's the two, three, four starters that you guys can bring in, and even the guys you don't start, you put in the bullpen and makes your bullpen even stronger. So, you know, I think what Madden did last year in the World Series, that's going to be the norm now in, in playoffs, in seven-game series, where you have guys coming in and pitching two or three innings at a time. <clears throat> Just, you know, my theory of how you form a, a starting rotation. Uh, but, but Madden did it last year. It almost cost him with, with Chapman, but he pulled it out. And I still think if the Indians would have had their rotation last year, they would have won it in four games. I, I, you know, I don't know if it'd have been four games, but yeah, I agree with you. I think they they would have won it in five or six. Here, here's some numbers, Mark. We talked about the Indians having 12 straight victories. Here's a couple of numbers that just popped up to me. This is the longest winning streak in Major League Baseball in this season. Not the Dodgers, not anybody else. The Indians have the longest winning streak. It's 12 straight, and the run differential that the Indians have had during this 12 game winning streak. Get this, Mark. The Indians, 84, their opponents, 21. They have destroyed people during this this winning streak. Now, what I've always said on this show and everywhere else is, the winning streak is nice, but it's what you do after the winning streak is over. Now, they've won 12 in a row. They can't go out now if they lose tomorrow and lose three or four in a row and let Minnesota get right back into this thing. Right now, they've got a a nine-and-a-half game lead. They want to crush Minnesota now while they've got the opportunity and continue marching forward towards the top spot or the second spot in the American League as far as the playoffs is concerned. And talking about pitching, did you see Jake Arrieta of the Cubs today pull the hammy and he may be out for at least a month? Yeah, I did see that. I didn't know he'd be out that long. I saw the replay of it, and it, it looked pretty pretty serious. But, uh, you know, it, it's funny, Dave, when you and I did our, our preseason show back in March, if we if we would have learned 
that the Indians on September 4th, is that today, uh, if they had a nine-and-a-half game lead, we'd have said, yeah, of course, yeah, that's what we expected. Yeah. That's yeah. Exactly, that's exactly right. We, we didn't anticipate they'd have such a rough start to the season. But their, you know, their last 40 games have been, they've been unconscious. And they're in the right division because if they've been in the West of the National League, uh, I'm not sure, you know, that slow start would have, it would have been over for them. But they were in the right division. They're a good team. They, they came through when they needed to. And I, I don't think you have anything to worry about. I think this team is going to win by 14 or 15 games. I just don't see, uh, who, who's going to slow them down right now. But that's precisely what we anticipated uh, when the season began. And the, the, you look around the leagues, I, I don't think at this point there's any surprises. Can you think of one? No, uh, I mean, Minnesota. Are, Minnesota. Minnesota's well, a better... They're nine and a half games behind. I mean, yeah, but they're, still, yeah but, they're, but they're the last team. They're, they're still in the wild card. They're in the wild card spot right now. They're yeah, in... I, I understand that. But that is not, that doesn't mean they've had a good year. It means that they're not, you know, they're still in the wild card. And, and I'm not sure they're going to, I don't think they're going to win it or, or, or qualify for it. But I'm talking about the teams that are leading the divisions right now. I don't, I don't think there's any surprises. No, except for the fact, I mean, I would say that Milwaukee's been a surprise. I mean, they led the division for most of the year. They're still only three games behind the Cubs. I, yeah, but again, number one, they're not going to qualify for a wild card. I don't think they're going to catch the Cubs. I think the Cubs will probably win by five or six games. But, you know, usually during the year, you're going to have a team that, that wow, I can't believe they're in the playoffs. Well, there's, I don't see any wows this year. I think all the teams in the playoffs are teams that everybody predicted, notwithstanding a Milwaukee or a, uh, a Minnesota sneaking in. Uh, that might happen, but if they do, they're not going to sneak in with, with terribly good records. And I tell you, where the Cubs are lucky is – that nobody got hot and stayed hot. The Cardinals, uh, you know, the Cardinals were hot in August, then cooled down the last two weeks, yeah. and ended up, you know, pretty far behind. So, I think every, if you look back at our predictions, I think we're pretty accurate. But, but we were not. Uh, I think everybody picked those teams to win the divisions that they that that will eventually win them. So, it, I, I kind of like that because. You know, you'd love to see a World Series where you had the Dodgers play the Indians. To me, that would be great because I, I think they're the two best teams in baseball. And it looks like that m- might happen. That, that, to me, that's always makes for a cool World Series. Oh, I would love it just because the weather is nice in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That, that would be nice. Now, the most important question of the night. Here, here we go. This is the most important question of the night. Who looks better... With their shirt off, do you think, according to Joe Morgan, would it be Joey Votto or Jamie on Outlander? Uh, that's, that's a good question. Um, I'll have to put that to the people I know who <laughs> like Outlander. <laughs> um, you know, it's premiering Sunday night. I, I a little birdie told me that you're you're a big fan. Is Claire going to go back? Is she uh, going to take her daughter back with her? I, 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 that's a good question, and I've been on, on tender hooks waiting to find out what happens. Now, I, you know, they were books, and I, I almost went out and read the book, but I was afraid I'd learn too much. But, uh, <laughs> I admit it, okay? Yeah. I admit it. Yeah. Well, I like. But I forget the woman who plays the lead, but I, I, she's, she's the reason I watch it more than anything. <laughs> Well, I, I, you know, I didn't watch the first season, and then I heard so much about it that I went ahead and I went back and I, I binge watched the first season, and then went into the second season. And I got to tell you, I, I've been waiting for the third season on on pins and needles. I, I'm anxious to really see that. I thought that last episode of Outlander last year was probably one of the best episodes I've seen for a finale, maybe ever. By the way, you know, our, our serial stalker, Linda Jordan, <laughs> she's probably the one who gave me up about Outlander. And I, I gotta tell you about Linda. She, she said she used to hate baseball until she started listening to us. And now she likes baseball. So, uh, you know, I think women who don't like baseball or even men that don't like baseball, we could turn them around. We, we could make them see the light. And if we can turn Linda Jordan into a baseball fan, we can turn anybody into a baseball fan. 
Yeah, you you may be right, Mark. You may be right. We may have to may have to check that out. But a good reporter never reveals his sources. So that's where that's where we'll end that tonight. Mark, what do the Reds have coming up this week? Uh, let me see. They're playing Milwaukee now, and then they go back to Pittsburgh. Uh, uh, you know, the, the Reds, interestingly, they, they play Boston uh, the week before the season's over. Then they end with the Cubs. They, you know, you don't want to play the Reds. You, you don't want to play the no. Reds if you're in a pennant race. And the Cubs, you know, if they play the Reds the last three games, they could be meaningful games. And the Reds have won a few games against the Cubs this year. So uh, the Reds have a chance to uh, cause some problems. And the Indians, well, they've got another three games in Chicago at Comiskey Park against the White Sox, and then they come home and play the Baltimore Orioles this weekend, and the Orioles have been playing some good baseball as of late. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. Hey, the Indians are on Sunday night baseball this Sunday night against the Orioles, so we'll be able to watch them. Mark, that's going to do it for tonight. We'll talk to you again next week. Have a good one, Dave. You too. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Thanks for joining us here on ultimatesportstalk.com for the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Mark and I will be back again next Monday night at 9 o'clock with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Until then, have a good week, everybody. I'm Dave Mitchell for Mark Donahue. Good night.